Hey, good morning. It's good to have you at Southfield today. I see that you made it in and didn't melt. That's a good thing. It, it was fun that it really started to rain just like a little bit right before the service. But um, I forgot this last week, and I don't want to go too far without remembering it. There were, there were a lot of significant things going on last week, but one of them was that a bunch of our area football teams went to state and won, right? which was crazy to have yeah. that many. But the biggest one for us, of course, is Wilmington. We got, yeah. we got Wilmington kids here and Wilmington families here. And so for them to win, that was amazing. And, you know, and for us, it brings back a lot of family memories. When Kim's dad was in charge of the IHSA, that was part of our Thanksgiving weekend. We'd eat turkey on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, football, 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 uh, back All then at U of I yeah. instead of Northern, but nonetheless, it was uh, a lot of fun. So congratulations to all those teams. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Really, really cool. How are you? <sighs> Holding up. Yeah, why is that? Because I realize that next week I'm getting old. Oh, yeah, you are. Older. Oh, yeah, you are. So I, and it just flashed on the screen because we have our Christmas program next week, and, and I'm super fired up about that, but then I, I, I see the date, and I'm like, yeah, I'm... December 12th, 12, 12, 12, Unbelievable. One day before Taylor Swift, as I've been told. So I'm one day better than she is. <laughs> well, but also, we got to celebrate my, uh, my nephew uh, yesterday. He had his one-year-old birthday party. And he's also born on December 13th. So we got a lot of December birthdays around Southfield, too. A lot of, a lot of um, people in, that have been involved in, in a very, very long time. Including Jesus. Including Which is Jesus. really great. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it's fun. We, we like to talk about your... Your birth a little bit. You uh, you were a tiny late, tiny late. You were you were due around Thanksgiving, and uh, you remember how many weeks ago Thanksgiving was? Yeah, exactly. Due around Some trends hold true. And we waited and waited and waited, and, and finally you decided to bring joy to the world. So yeah, yeah that'll be a, that'll be a fun celebration next week. We'll be celebrating with our Christmas play, which it's kind of fun looking up here. I see names of where kids are going to be standing and doing their parts. So. That's one portion of next Sunday morning that we're, that we're really excited about. Yeah. It's going to be a really, yeah. really good time. You got your update yesterday, and uh, really we're, we're uh, highlighting two things there, two things that are going on today and then tomorrow. So talk about gingerbread yeah. after church second service. After second service today, we have our gingerbread bash uh, that's going until uh, 2 o'clock. And I'm fired up about this because it's got all of our Southfield families involved Little kids, big kids, refuge, so the junior high age. And we're going to be learning the story of Christmas through building nativity scenes with, with gingerbread. I mean, it's gingerbread. But it's, it's going to be really, really cool uh, as we are able to, to learn that story and know it um, and maybe even catch pieces that we either took for granted or we've misunderstood or misrepresented uh, throughout our lives. So uh, that's happening. And what we're going to do after second service is we're going to have everybody that's in the gym that plans on coming, come in here. We're going to play a game in here um, to allow the, the preparation to happen in the gym. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be set up. So we're going to clear out big kids, bring everybody in here. I'll run a big game and then they'll come and kind of give me the signal. And when I get the signal, I know it's time to eat pizza uh, so we'll have a bunch of pizza, and then we'll get into our, our um, gingerbread activities. Now, so for this be really service, fun. because some of these folks might go home mm -hmm. and come back, they should be here around 11.45? Yeah, if you want to be a part of the game that's in here, 11.45 uh, would be great. Uh, 11.40, 11.45. If not, then you can come and join us at, right at noon. 
uh, or just before that, to make sure that you get some pizza before we, we start our event. Great. And then tomorrow, we're having a, a time to come together and we pray for people who need to come to know Christ. Yeah. Yeah. We know that our goal, our mission here on earth that we've been given by God is to, to make believers, to go and make disciples. And we know that this is a time where we spend a lot of time with family, friends, coworkers that, that don't know Jesus, and quite frankly, many of them who don't want to know Jesus. So we're going to be praying um, for, for those hearts and minds to be softened, for, for God to start doing some work in their lives, and for him to, to give us the opportunity to step in and, and, um, and bring those people to know and understand the, the weight of a relationship with Jesus and the, the desperate need that we all have for that relationship. So, um, so that's going to be really cool too. Very good. Good. And then of course, like we said, next week, next week we've got the, the Christmas program. Mm -hmm. Kids are going to do a great job. They've already been working on that a yeah. lot, really hard. And then there are other pieces of the morning as well. And as the uh, month unfolds, we'll give you more of the, more of the plans for Christmas, what all is going to be taking place uh, during that. We are in December and then, you know, of course, moving into January and February, uh, a lot of people talk about, oh, can't wait to get back to normal, you know, after all the COVID junk and everything else. Can't wait to get back to normal. A piece of normal is that people used to get sick. <laughs> Amazing. Right? And guess what? They still get sick. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I know that the piece that's weird now is no matter what cold you have or bug you have, you're sticking a Q-tip up your nose to try to figure out what it is. You sneeze, you get but, swabbed. Um, yeah. but, but here's the bottom line. You know, we just want, we want you to feel the freedom. If you wake up on a Sunday morning and you have 105 temperature and you're throwing up and sneezing and wheezing and a lung is laying on the floor, stay home. All right? It's a good thing. Actually, I don't know that you should. You should probably go to the hospital. <laughs> you should probably go. <laughs> Stay home. Go and get what, some help. And what you what you can do on those Sundays is is join us is join us uh, uh, by way of live stream. We have that playing at both nine and ten thirty every week. So you don't have to miss a thing. You can be here, but you know. I feel the freedom if you're not feeling well to stay home. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a good thing, okay? And we're just going to keep uh, forging through mm -hmm. as we have been forging through. Mm -hmm. And because uh, we, we, we love normal. We love being together. We think together is a huge piece of not only getting through this season, but really part of what God has called us to. So I want to thank you, as always, for the faithfulness that you express all the time in giving. And so many of you picked up on online giving, but there are also other opportunities, whether it's by way of the mail, you can text it, or there's even a black box on the door right there. Tom just moved so you can see it if you've ever wondered where it is, but uh, all those different ways to give. And your faithfulness just uh, ensures that we can continue to, to serve you and serve the world in, in a way that uh, really honors Jesus. So we are in the second week of Advent. In the second week of Advent, uh, the emphasis of the week is peace. We're all looking for peace. It's a, very, it's a very restless, confusing world right now. And Jesus promised us through, again, one of his names. He is the Prince of Peace. So just like last week, we're going to have you read from this devotional book that a lot of us have been using. So this, is, uh, this goes along with the Dwell app, that, that scripture listening app that you can go ahead and take in scripture. Uh, we'll have you read the devotional, and then during communion, uh, during our time of communion together, we'll play today's reading uh, so, that you can, so that you can take in that scripture. So let us hear today's reading. If you've ever, ever lived in or near the mountains, you've seen what dynamite 
bulldozers, controlled burns, earth movers, and asphalt can do. It's truly astonishing. What was once impossible or difficult passage, full of many dangers, becomes smooth highway. However, there's always cost to such an achievement. To make these roads, homes, family land, wildlife, and their habitats are always displaced or destroyed to some degree. With enough resources, humans can literally move mountains, but there's always a cost. With our knowledge, technology, and careful planning, there's still so much that we don't know about the ripple effects of applying such force to the earth. But God has a different way. When the messenger of the covenant comes, the earth and its people won't know what hit them. Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears, says Malachi 3.2. Scripture tells us that he will come in the full power of God with fire, modifying the inner and outer landscapes of the world that we know. And yet, rather than simply being told that this is God's will, and we'd better just cut our losses and get over it, we're told repeatedly that this is our hope, and that this, and only this, is what can save us. It may sound like destruction, and some things will have to go. Arrogant pride and all of Satan's deceptions will crumble. But this is the beginning of the rescue of God, the rescue of all creation. It's not a divine vanity project, ego trip, or even the quickest way between two points. Though amazing, human force has always had its victims. God's force always wrecked, rescues victims. In the most naked revelation of his power, a human being on a cross, God became a victim. As we wait for the birth of Christ, let us listen, along with God's people, to creation's longing for an earth-shaking salvation, for the road of righteousness to be complete. As we hear Zechariah's song, in this hope alone will be our everlasting peace. And every day has a reflective practice, and it also has a prayer for the week. So if you would pray the prayer for us, please. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So like we said before, we'll be listening to the, the Dwell app during communion. And you mentioned last week, and I think it was a great reminder, uh, the, the, the reading lasts a little over four minutes. Mm -hmm. Or in other words, you don't have to run right up in the first 10 seconds to go get communion. Yeah. You can take some time to listen, to reflect. And, um, and, and as you do, I think that for the theme for today, just remember that when Jesus gave us this um, bread and cup, he said, I do this. Uh, so that you'll remember me. We have that remembrance that he is always with us. We, this physical reminder every week that he is always with us. So whether you go to the tables at the front or we have two at the back, we have gluten-free on either side of the stage as well as one of the back, one of the back tables. Let's move to communion. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. 
and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So when you take the time to listen to four and a half minutes of Scripture, um, there's a lot to take in. And sometimes as we're taking it in, we can maybe get lost in our thoughts or whatever. What I like to do when I'm listening to an extended passage like that is just be quiet enough to listen to say, God, what is is it you want to say out of this today? And, And you might catch a word, you might catch a verse, a statement that just, it sticks with you. And then you take it with you throughout the day. So as I was listening, I heard those words of Paul again when he said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Uh, and I love that because we often think that the, um, the, the, the work of our sanctification, of our growing to like Christ, is totally in our laps. We have all the work to do. And it says he began the work And he's the one that's faithful to complete the work. So in cooperation with the Spirit of God, um, we're not the only ones at work. God's at work in us. And so today, God, we pray that as you do your good work in us, we'll cooperate with you. We'll listen to you. you. When you bring to our attention an area of disobedience, we'll obey you. When you Bring to our attention area that, that, we're, that we're getting it right and walking in the right path. Help us to keep walking in that path. We look forward to the day that this work you have begun comes to completion. The day that we, we look into the eyes of Jesus and we know the work is done. And it wasn't just our effort, Lord, but it was you at work in us. Now work on us through your word, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so here we are in Advent, and we've really been trying to lean into one of the uh, more precious names of Jesus, the name Emmanuel, the name that tells us that, that God truly is with us. We spent a lot of time looking at the ways in which we try going after a relationship with God that is other than with. We have all kinds of ways that we pursue a relationship with God that really miss out on the fact that he just wants to be with us. He wants a friendship with us. He wants a relationship with us. Last week, we just took a decided turn, and we, we stopped looking at the ways that we do this work on our own, and we start looking at the ways that God truly wants to be with us. And so we, we looked last week at different ways that we can work into a practice of recognizing the work of God in our lives. I loved it throughout the week. I got, I got texts and, and emails from a few of you that said, hey, you know, some of the things you talked about, I, I've tried that this week, and I've been noticing, I've been paying attention to the active work of God in my life, that I'm not alone as I go throughout my day, but that God is actually part of what's happening in my life. We referred to that as finding God in all things. And by that, we're not making reference to, you know, pantheism. God is the candle. God is a pencil. It's not that God is all things, but God is in all things, and he works through all things. And so, whether it is in the smile and and words of another person or an action, action that takes place throughout the day, we're able to see that God is actively part of our lives. For a lot of us, we recognize God's active presence in our lives when something really big happens 
But, we, but in the small stuff, in the everyday stuff, we kind of go, well, God has nothing to do with that. That's the stuff that just happens. That's living like a practical deist. A deist who believes God started everything but then left it all to the laws of nature and has nothing to do with our daily lives. He cares about the smallest details of your life. He cares about the numbers of hair on your head. He cares about every detail. You truly matter to God. He is with you in every possible way. So we're going to move away from looking at the practice of how do we recognize, how do we train our eyes and souls to see God, to one of the times that I think it is much more difficult in life to recognize that God is present with us. How can I find God in my pain? We all go through pain. We all go through suffering. We all go through trouble. We all have hard times. And in the hard times, we tend to think that God is not there, that God is absent, that God is being silent, that God is somehow moved away from us. He doesn't care about us right now. We're on our own in this. Our pain seems to scream isolation. It seems to scream God doesn't want anything to do with you. God is not with us. I think of some of the words of the psalmist, and there are many in which he expresses the pain he's going through and the, how, that, uh, how that impacts his relationship with God. Psalm 28, he says, to you, Lord, I call, you are my rock. Don't turn a deaf ear to me. Sometimes in our pain, we're praying, and it's like, God, you even hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. I lift up my hands toward the most holy place. In Psalm 25, he's got people coming up against him, and he says, contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight those who fight against me. I need your help here right now. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. He goes on to say, Lord, you have seen this. Please don't be silent. Please don't be silent. Please do not be far from me, Lord. Awake and rise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness. Lord, my God, do not let them gloat over me. Psalm 61, he says, Hear my cry, O Lord. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call and my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. David, as he's going through times of struggle, wonders if God is listening and wonders if God is there. Now, in a room like this, I kind of know the way this works. There's somebody sitting here today, and you look at someone else across the room and you say, I wish I had their life. They seem to have no problems. Everything seems to go just great for them. And I wish I could be where they are. And yet, here's the truth of Scripture. Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Everyone has problems. Everyone has pain. Everyone has suffering. Everyone has times that they believe God is not listening. Everyone has times that they think God is not Emmanuel to them in that moment. When we're in pain, we sense silence. It's as if God's words have just, they've stopped. We're not hearing from him. When we're in pain, we sense distance. 
Where are you, God? Why am I alone in this? And in pain, sadly, we often sense rejection. We get this feeling somehow that we've done something for God to reject us, for God to push us away, for God to say, I want nothing to do with you anymore. Well, here's what I truly believe. We can find God in our pain. We can. We, we don't just find times, we find God in times of pleasure and in times of, of praise. We can actually locate God in the times of our deepest pain. But here's the reason we often don't. We have lies. Lies that we believe about pain. Some of these lies are, are societal lies. Some of them are lies that we've been, we've been taught in religion, or maybe even not lies, but they're distortions. One of the challenges I have every week, I get to talk for 30 minutes, and I'll talk about a truth, and guess what? There's a truth over here I didn't get to talk about. And all of these truths come together, but you can only talk about this piece right now. And for some of us, we have a piece of truth that we've grabbed, but there's another piece over here that we miss, and we live into this piece, but we, but we kind of miss this piece over here. We have lies that we believe about pain. One of the biggest ones I hear from people is that they believe all pain is punishment. All pain is punishment. I did something to deserve this. I did something to deserve the pain I'm going through right now, and it's time for me to pay for my sins. It's time for me to pay for the thing that I did wrong. Now, here's reality. Some pain is punishment. I wouldn't even call it punishment. Some pain is discipline. Some pain is discipline. Some pain is God trying to get our attention because we're walking down the wrong path. And in that walking down the wrong path, he, like a good parent, says, I'm going to inflict a little bit of pain to wake you up so you see what's going on. You see it in Hebrews chapter 12. Have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not take light the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as son. Right there in itself, what we begin to understand is that that moment of discipline is actually God present with us. That moment of discipline is actually God saying, I love you too much to just watch you continue to wander down the wrong path. I want to bring you back home. So when pain is involving punishment, even in that, it's not as if God is saying, I've rejected you, I've pushed you away, but as a father, I want to bring you back to the right path. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not, not disciplined by their father? If you are disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for that. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us, these human fathers, for a little while as they saw it best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The fact is, sometimes pain is discipline, but sometimes pain has nothing to do with what we've done at all. Sometimes the pain we're enduring is because of what somebody else has done. 
but we've got to walk through that path with them. You see, what we find about pain is pain is not so much punishment as it is refining. Pain is an opportunity for us to grow. Pain is an opportunity for us. It's an invitation by God for us to grow. As James talks about that idea that, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So when we simply see it as God is punishing me, yeah, God feels a million miles away. But if we can see that in those moments, God is actually disciplining us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he wants this relationship to grow in the right direction. We hear our pain a little bit differently. Another lie that we believe about pain is that pain is senseless. There's no good reason for it. It's pointless. Why do I have to go through this? If we could just eliminate pain, everything in the world would be okay. I have a question for you to, to ponder this week. Do you think Adam and Eve experienced pain prior to the fall? Do you think Adam and Eve experienced pain prior to sin? If Adam and Eve were walking barefoot, and I'm going to assume they were barefoot because they were bare. If Adam and Eve were walking barefoot and they stepped on a stone, would it hurt? I'd contend it did. I'd contend it did. Because pain is not always the result of sin. Pain is not senseless. Pain is not pointless. Pain actually serves a purpose. I've talked about this piece of my story in the past that when I was in my teenage years, I had a friend who, who was electrocuted and died. And, and for the next five years of my life at least, I, I, I suffered during that season. I suffered in large part because I had led myself to believe that if I had been there, my friend would not have died. Uh, my friend was far more adventuresome than I was. He died climbing a tree. There was a 60,000-volt wire going through the tree that had just been put there two weeks before. And as he climbed, the electricity hit the buckle on the back of his hat, and, 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 he, and he was killed instantly, fell to the ground. His four-year-old brother is standing at the bottom of the tree, picks up his glasses and wallet and runs back to mom and says, Blair is dead. And I convinced myself that I had been there, and I was supposed to be there. If I had been there, he would not have died. Why? Number one, I was not adventuresome. I hated climbing trees. We would have been on the ground. We never would have climbed a tree. And I was also observant. If I saw a wire going through a tree, I'd have said, Blair, you're stupid. Don't go up in that tree. There are all these trees here. Go in a different tree. I had convinced myself that it was my fault that he died. Got to college. I was talking to a faculty member about this. I'm just really struggling. And she recommended a book by Philip Yancey called Where is God When It Hurts? I, you know, like any college kid, a book is recommended to you, and you're like, I got so much reading to do already, but, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I opened it up, and I began to read the words inside. It was amazing. You know, here's a guy, his name is Dr. Paul Brand, and he was a surgeon who who worked with lepers in leper colonies. I never knew this about leprosy. See, I have a Sunday school version of leprosy that people turn snowy white and then their body parts fall off. That's, that, that was the way I understood leprosy, right? You're walking along and boom, there goes your arm. What happened? I lost my arm. I'm a leper. So that, that was my view of leprosy. What I didn't understand is that leprosy is actually a deadening of nerve cells to the point that you feel no pain. So, you'll reach over and grab that hot kettle off the fire and hear your skin sizzling and not even realize that's you. 
and your skin becomes infected, and before you know it, the body parts you're starting to lose are because of extended infection, because of lack of pain. And I'm telling you what, in that moment, in that moment, I found myself starting to say, thank you, God, for pain. Thank you for letting me know in moments of pain that something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something's happening to my body in this moment. You know, how many times have we heard the story of a person, yeah, I had this pain in my side for three years, but I just kind of ignored it. And then they found out it was something very serious. Pain is there as a warning signal to say something is wrong. Pain is not senseless. Pain is not pointless. Pain is actually purposeful. It's a gift from God to let us know something is wrong and needs to be fixed. Probably the biggest lie that we believe is pain is abandonment. God has turned his back on us. He's turned his back on us and he's allowing us to go through pain. Toward the end of that paragraph, I, wrote, I read these words and loved it. He said, for Dr. Brandt, the first sign of healing for his patients is their ability to feel pain. Pain, ironically, is a gift through which the possibility of new life and redemption can be seen. That it, was not, that it was not a rejection, it was not a pushing away, but it was actually a gift given to us. Hebrews, Hebrews, 13, Hebrews 12 says, again, the dis, the discipline, they disciplined us for a little while, it was for our best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but fame painful. However, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, pain is not abandonment. Pain is actually inviting. Pain is inviting us into growth. Pain is inviting us into change. Pain is inviting us into deeper conversation with God. The reality is, most of us, when life is going really smoothly, we don't talk to God as much. It's all going well. Why do I need to talk to God? It's when we're in deep pain that we find ourselves saying, God, I'm desperate. Can you hear me? Pain is an invitation to draw closer to him. Why do we buy these lies? Why do we do this? Well, in part, pain distorts perspective. I can be a big baby when I'm in pain. I, don't, I, I know it's a male thing. Ladies, you, you can endure all pain, right? But we guys, we're wimps. I, when I'm in pain, it's hard for me to think about anything else but my pain. That's where my brain goes. It's, it's focused on it. It distorts my perspective in the moment. And so when we're in a season of pain, every truth we know and every truth we believe gets distorted by the hurt that we feel. Further, feelings scream louder than facts. Here's the fact. I am with you. Here's the feeling. I don't sense your presence. The feeling is a lie. The fact is the truth. I am with you always. I'm with you. And circumstances feel like reality. Our circumstances, the thing we're going through, feel so real. It feels so real. And we miss the fact that there is a reality far beyond our circumstances. So how do we go about finding God in the pain I think we need to begin by, by challenging our vantage point. How do, we see, how do we see the event we're going through right now? Pain comes in all different sizes, right? For some, for some pains, they, are, they have a short life and they're intense, but then they're gone. 
And honestly, for some other pains, they've literally gone on the entirety of our lives, and we've had to live with it. We, we have a vantage point on our pain, a way of seeing it. I think one of the reasons that I love the story of Joseph so much is because he gives us some of the vantage points on pain that I'm sure this character did not see when he was going through the pain. Here he is, youngest son, loved by dad, hated by his brothers. He knows his brothers hate him. They, they find him alone. They sell him off into slavery. How does that? I know you have siblings that wanted to do bad things to you. I don't think anybody in the room was sold off into slavery. Not yet, at least. They're going to get ideas from the Bible or something. No, you haven't gone through that. Here he is. He's being actually sold by his brothers away from his family, lied to about his death. He goes to a man's house and, and the, he takes on the job of the servant. And, and I love it because in that passage it says, the Lord was with Joseph. I wonder if Joseph felt the Lord was with him. You've just been sold by your brothers into slavery. Do you feel the Lord with you? Well, we know that Joseph's a handsome guy. Potiphar's wife says, let's sleep together. He says this, how can I do such a thing and sin against God? Here's what we all believe, right? If I do the right thing, everything will go okay for me. I just need to do the right thing. Do you know that when you do the right thing, sometimes the rock falls on your head? He did the right thing. Potiphar said, to jail. You're gone. There he is in jail. He thinks he's got a rescue. Someone's heard his voice. Two years later, finally, it's recognized that he's rotting away in this jail. I suspect this story goes on from the time he's 17 years old to 30 years old. I just kind of think that Joseph felt a lot like us. Where is God? But Scripture said the Lord was with Joseph. When we're in pain, it looks something like this. You are here. Here I am in the middle of whatever the pain is that I have, that I'm experiencing. We have what we might call hearsight, H-E-R-E sight. I can only see what I'm going through right now. But what I love about the story is it, got, it gives us his sight or high sight. It gives us the view of God that's going on. Have you ever thought about the view of God in what you're going through at this moment? That even though your story feels like sold off into slavery and prison, the Lord was with you in it. We need to be challenged in our view to not only see here sight, but he has a sight, a high sight. And then, of course, we have the vantage point of hindsight. We can look back at this story and see God truly was with them, even though in here sight, we might not see that. So we start looking back on our own story, their sight, back when I was there. And you know what we start to recognize? When we look back on some of our pain, we go, I can see where God was. I can see God in the moment. I couldn't see it back then, but I can see God in the moment. And so we start to train ourselves to see things from God's viewpoint, to see things from a, from a future perspective, looking back, instead of just, I'm stuck here now, this is all I can see. We need to challenge our vantage point. We also need to challenge our values. Boy, oh boy, let me, let me, show, up, let me show you American spiritual values. Health. Success, safety. If I hear the word safe one more time, I'm going to throw up publicly. Self-sufficiently. 
Self-sufficiency. I can do this. I don't need anybody else. I'm independent. Comfort. We love comfortable. Predictability. Now, we like things to change a little bit. We just want to know what's coming. We want to be warned. Strength. These are the things we value. So when pain comes along, all these values get obliterated. What does God value? I'm going to suggest to you that God doesn't really value an awful lot that's on that list. Not for you. God has different values. Therefore, in order to become, be, keep from being conceited, Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He was given a weakness so intense that it kept him from being as good as he could be, from being the best he could be for God. Three times he says, Lord, take it away. I could be so much better for you. I could do so much greater work for you if I didn't have this thorn. And what does God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In your pain, that's when my power is shown off. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you see that list? I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. He doesn't say, I endure them because I know the good that will come of them. He says, I, I delight in for when I am weak, God's power is finally shown. We need our values challenged, and we need our vision challenged. We really do. We need to see what God sees. I, I love 2 Corinthians 4. I have three, three prime, prime passages in, in, in Scripture that are my favorites. Psalm 90, Psalm 131, and 2 Corinthians 4. It has so much to do with ministry and the way we serve. He says, on every side, we're crushed but not perplexed, despair, uh, but I'm sorry, on every side, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying pain actually has a purpose of showing off Jesus in my, in my life. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. That sounds like pain. That sounds like trouble. That sounds like suffering. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, not, what is, not just our circumstances, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What a vision challenge. What a vision challenge, because we only see here, now, and the pain, and yet, what's the challenge? I, I love the way he says it. I mean, for our light and momentary troubles. I don't know what you're going through, but I, I, there's very little in my life that's a pain that I would call light or momentary. It's heavy and it's with me forever. It won't go away, right? What a perspective, these light and momentary troubles. He, he has a vision that says eternity is what it's all about. There's some stuff going on here right now that's painful. God is in that moment. We don't miss him in that moment. We need to challenge our vision. We can find God in our pain. We can. I don't like pain, but I am thankful for it. I am thankful for it. It's a gift from God. It's a gift. 
to help us to hear him better. Classic quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And it, it's, a, it's a beautiful book because we have to work through this. How can pain and God exist in the same time? He says, here's the thing. We can ignore God in pleasure. When life is good, it's easy to just ignore God. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Our pain is not screaming, you're all alone. Our pain, our pain is not screaming, you are abandoned. Our pain is screaming, my name is Emmanuel. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, God, I pray that we would hear the right voices. Pain is not going to go away. Suffering is not going to go away. Hardships are not going to go away. That is part of this human existence. But the fact is that when pain is present, you are present. When suffering is present, you have not gone away. When hardship is there, you are right by our sides. Train our hearts to see you in our suffering. We pray this to you, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to sing together, and as we do... Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about pain, right? It's, it's, hard to talk about, it's hard to talk about suffering. And probably the last thing you want to do right now is identify the thing that's most painful in this moment. But I'd encourage you to do it. I'd encourage you to walk right toward it. Walk right toward the thing that is most painful in this moment. What do you think it's been saying to you? Do you think it's been saying, God hates me? God left me? God cares about other people, but he doesn't care about me? None of those messages that you're telling yourself are true. Here's the truth. That pain is screaming, I am Emmanuel. I am with you. I'm with you. And so as we sing right now, I'd encourage you not to just ignore the pain because you'll sense God's presence somehow better when you do, but you'll actually lean into the pain knowing that in the pain, he is present for you. He truly is present. What we sing is true. His name has great power. Because he has great power. I want to encourage you to do something that will hopefully help you to locate God in your pain. A lot of times when we're in deep pain, suffering, and trial, we pray things like, God, why me? God, why this? God, why now? God, mm, where are you? Would you try a different name? I'm not saying stop asking why. Just ask it differently. Emmanuel, why me? 
Emmanuel, why this? Emmanuel, why now? Emmanuel. Every time you do, you're not saying, you've abandoned me, I'm alone. You're saying, I recognize you are here. I don't feel good. I feel lousy. I hate this. But I know I'm not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone. The name Emmanuel is a name of great power. Use it. Use it. We'll either see you next week or tomorrow night to pray or at 1145 to make some gingerbread mangers. So see you later.